Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelicone. And tonight we are bringing to you the top five horror movies of 1986. Uh, we only have a few months left of this list. We've went through the years 1980 um, up to 86 tonight. We'll cover 87, 88, 89 over the next couple months. So all those past episodes are in the archives going there. And um, Frank, you uh, you really like these lists like as it gets deeper into uh, the 80s, don't you? Yeah, this one and the next one are both really strong. Yeah, I haven't looked at eighty eight yet, so I'm not sure. But yeah, there's there's a lot of good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I maybe this it's maybe it's an age thing with me. I guess like where these movies I'm more reticent to criticize them because mm. I I have nostalgia for them too to some degree, and that could just be an age issue where the early eighties. I was too young to watch yeah. the movies, um, and, like, this is, like, the heyday of, like, Showtime, Cinemax, HBO, and, like, being sure. able to watch these things without parental, like, supervision, kind of, and, like, seeing them, or seeing, like, the syndicated versions, like, on right. Up All Night and stuff like that, like, um, but, yeah, so I, I'm certainly, um, uh, less hateful, um, as we're going along, it seems. It was a really difficult list for me to make, because there's definitely, like, other movies that I think could have been on it. Like what? Um, so a movie that was on it up until like, shit, I guess last Saturday maybe was, um, class of Newcomb high. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. The trauma movie. Right, um, I already forgot about that. Cause I actually watched that before you changed it, which I still like watching again. I still love that movie, but I just don't think it's as good as the five movies that are on here. Yeah. I actually, uh, I don't know if it's sacrilegious or like controversy or what, and you would know better than I would, but I actually thought watching Newcomb High that uh, it was actually, I liked it better than Toxie. Uh, I I think most people that are fans of Roma agree with that. Really? Okay. I mean, it's it's not as popular a franchise as Toxie, you know, Toxic Avenger. Right. And obviously that's spun off into like an animated series and toys and like other stuff, but um, like I think most people would probably say that Newcomb High is a better oh, movie. Okay. Right. I guess just Toxie, like Toxic Avenger, has like such like a, it's still like the one thing if like non trauma fans or people that aren't big in the heart, it's the one thing they know. So I always think that people like it. I guess for some reason. Just I mean, because. I I like Toxic Avenger, but yeah. there's a lot of flaws in Toxic Avenger, and there's less flaws I think in Newcomb High. I think Newcomb High is more fun as well. Sure. And more subversive in a lot of ways because it's not just like... Yeah, I agree with that. Even though it's like got its gross out moments like right. every trauma film, it's yeah. about more like societal things than Toxic yeah. Avenger is really. Yeah, I agree. Or at least like more complex societal issues. Right. Um, yeah, there's also... Um, what else? Uh, Critters, I thought about putting on here. No, I love Critters. Um, there's an Australian horror movie called Dead End Drive-In that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Invaders from Mars. Uh, there's a really like... God, that was that year too, yeah. huh? Invaders from Mars. Yeah, I love that version of Invaders it's from It's really Mars. good. Yeah. Um, there's a, that's a, a Louise Fletcher, right? Like, from Nurse Ratchet. From, yes. um, yeah, yeah. I, a movie I that, that I had never seen until like last year called Neon Maniacs. That I really enjoyed a lot. I remember you telling me about um, that, yeah. Rawhead Rex was this year. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was this year. Like, a bunch of stuff that I have a lot of, like, affection for that 
oh, I, oh cool, I'm past Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like... I like that movie a lot, but to me, that movie's a parody more than it is a horror movie. Sure. I mean, it's basically Hooper just kind of, like, going the opposite direction entirely from Texas Chainsaw in almost every respect. Yeah, I just did not like that movie when I watched it, and I didn't think it was, like, even if it was a parody, I didn't think it was funny. I I love that movie. I think it's... I actually thought the... God, it wasn't even Hooper, but it was uh, Next Generation, the Matthew McConaughey one. I actually thought that was funnier than... You have an undue amount of affection for that movie. I fucking hate that movie. Oh, it's not good. Don't get me wrong, but I thought it was funny. I actually, in terms of being a sequel, the third Leatherface, the third Texas Chainsaw movie, uh is a better sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre than Texas Chainsaw 2. Hmm. Although it's still like... It's been a long time since I've seen the third one. Suffers from... The overproduction that Texas Chainsaw 2 sure. suffers from, like, it loses, like, a lot of the tight, claustrophobic feel of the original. Right. Um, But it's a much more straightforward horror movie, and it's got, like, scenes in it that are, um, like, genuinely, like, well-done, like, scary scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not going to make a list, because it's not, like, great, but it's, it, it's a fun movie. Yeah. Also, I don't know when it came out. It might have been, like, 90 or something. Is there anything else? Uh, like, that's about that it. year. Well, what house is that year? I don't know if I said house. Um, oh yeah, we. I think house. I like House Two though better than House. Honestly, House Two is the funner movie. Yeah, it's the one that I watched both of House and House Two way too many times when right. I was young. Um, and House Two is always the one that I liked more because it was just fun and easier to watch. Where, um, but there's stuff in House that I love sure absolutely house is, house love. Is good. yeah i just it, i've only seen house like maybe like two or three times ever mm-hmm. and two of the times i saw it was what you were talking about like the syndicated saturday afternoon sure. horror movie thing yeah so i think i've only seen house in its entirety as an unedited movie like once oh that's really sad that i'm not gonna get to talk about house mm-hmm. um the my favorite sequence in house is the uh the disgusting demon woman when he like chops her up and like buries her and god what do you remember what the song was that's playing in the background i don't oh it's so good and um but yeah i i I love that and it's like for some reason as a kid like it freaked me out like the the disembodied like hand like the fat like you know with the red uh, fingernail polish on it and the ring like you know coming like creeping in and doing stuff and like trying to kill him and stuff like that that's the one where he's a vietnam veteran right or is that yes too? yeah he's yeah well, and he he's a vietnam vet and he um right he's written books about his experience and richard maul plays the, yeah like the guy that like he leaves to die like in vietnam maybe we'll do a top five vietnam movies and <laughs> there's there's five better vietnam there has to be five better vietnam better vietnam movies than house as much as i love house ceasefire casualties of war casualties of war yeah i don't i do not like casualties of war please don't make me watch casualties of war right um platoon's not even that good anymore i watched platoon last year and i don't think it holds up yeah so there might not be yeah yeah i don't know um Okay, before we get started on this list, I wanted to just quickly talk about uh, 
August. So August, we have uh, we're going to be doing four episodes throughout uh, August. Uh, next weekend, we will be doing. Uh, we both went yesterday uh, with friend of the podcaster Ryan Wellmaker. Want to go see. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's new movie. So we saw that yesterday. Next week, we're going to talk about that, do a review of it, and probably also kind of fit in like a retrospective of Tarantino and like put it in context, Um, especially considering it's possible. I don't know how likely that this might be it for Tarantino if you like are reading interviews with him. Um, He might be calling it quits, at least temporarily. So um, we're going to do that the first weekend of August. Second weekend of August, we were going to be doing uh, the uh, top five movies of 2004. That um, is like a 15-year anniversary type thing. It's yeah. also like the year that uh, when Frank was working at the theater, like we saw pretty much everything, I think, that like, came out yeah, that year. Pretty much every mainstream release movie. Yeah, and even some of the ones that weren't mainstream releases. Right. Um, oh, that was the Catwoman year, wasn't it? I think that's Catwoman, yeah. Didn't make yeah. my list. No, no, I'm sure it wouldn't. If we did a top five worst. Or um, top five funniest. Right, yeah. That movie's hilarious. It is. Tom Lone. Yeah. I um, went by myself. <laughs> Benjamin Bragg. Two on point. So we're going to be doing that in uh, in the second week of August. And then the other two episodes in August, though, we're going to be doing top five uh, 70 sci-fi movies in august and then we'll end the month with uh the top five horror b movies in 1987 to continue that year-long project so that's what we got coming in august remember um if you have any ideas for lists um genres that you'd like to see done or anything like that uh please you can uh contact us on facebook um two guys five movies you can also email us on gmail uh two guys five movies at gmail.com um, and as always, please remember that um, sharing um, Facebook posts, you know, liking Facebook posts, uh, leaving reviews or rating us on whatever pod catcher that you're using, um, all those things help us immensely with um, continuing to get this podcast out. Um, for those that do that consistently and have done it, thank you. We really appreciate it a lot. Uh, yeah, it's so, good to see that. Yeah. So... Uh, let's go ahead and get started, Frank. So, uh, number five on the list for 1986 is April Fool's Day, directed by Fred Walton, starring Jay Parker, Deborah Foreman, Deborah Goodricks, and um, Ken Olant. Uh, oh, I forgot to include what's his name on here, Biff from um, Back to the Future. I can't remember his name, Tom something. Um, so, it uh, has a 38% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 47% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about April Fool's Day and what you like about it so much? What are those ratings again? 38% from critics and wow. 47% from audiences. Both of those are really surprising to me. Um, so the story is that group of college friends are going to spend a holiday weekend on a private island that's owned by... Another, like, fellow college student, uh, Muffy St. Clair, whose, like, family is, like, incredibly wealthy. Um, they get to the island. Um, it starts out pretty lighthearted. She has, like, practical jokes all over the place, like, whoopee cushions and dribble glasses and shit. Um, but then there's, like, weirder, like, pranks, like, dead baby crying in somebody's room um heroin paraphernalia like in the room um and then one of the members goes missing 
Uh, and it turns into kind of a... Like, I, I don't like this comparison, but sort of like Ten Little Indians type thing where, like, people keep disappearing and the mystery is, like, who's killing them. That's what it's based on, right? Uh, I think, I think in, like, a really basic way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine it is. I don't know if I've ever read that specifically. It's I think just, I think I have read like that. Like, what, what it feels when you watch it. Um, so, they... The people are missing. The one girl finds their severed heads in, like, a well, and they start to think that people are being murdered. Um, it's then revealed that Muffy has a twin sister named Buffy who's, like, psychotic, and they think that she's killing everybody. Um... Like, it's, it's really, like, I in my opinion, like, really good, like, stalking scenes, and there's tension to it. Um, and it does a good job, I think, of sort of making you, like, guess, like, who the killer is. I think that that's... Because there's also the red herring that there's this um, guy that, like, runs the ferry, like, ferries yeah. him over and, like, gets, like, seriously injured because mm-hmm. they're, like, goofing around. And then maybe it's, like, somebody that's related to him. And ultimately, what it turns out is that it's an elaborate prank that she's set up where she's been pulling them off one by one and having them fake their deaths um, because she wants to turn the island into an elaborate, like, vacation spot where people, basically like a murder mystery type thing, like where you pay and then, like, you're involved in the murders and you have to solve the murder. Um, Then there's another, like, false ending where one of the girls from one of the college friends um appears to slit her throat at the end of the movie but then it turns out that that's fake too right um so i i mean i always thought this movie was ingenious because unlike every single other like slasher movie it's not real right like it's all just like an elaborate like ruse and game and i thought that was always cool because it really makes you believe that you're like these people are dead yeah um so it's as much a prank on you as it is like everybody else that's you know in the house um, I think that while they're not like spectacular for a bunch of like mostly unknown actors, like the acting is, is pretty decent in it. Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely like a, like a human believability to these people as like actual, like, you know, people as opposed to your stereotypical, like cardboard cutout, like slasher movie characters. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get the sense that, um, I mean, again, not that it's like it's fine acting like for what it is and um i i get the sense even though i don't know this that i think they cast people according to their strengths like you know very well so it came off as very believable that these people were were who they were and i'm actually really surprised that um deborah foreman who plays muffy slash buffy in it uh doesn't have much of a career whatsoever because i thought she was really good yeah, she is really good. I and like that performance a lot. I do too, and it very much reminded me of. Um, I don't know what you think about this. We've never talked about it. it. She very much reminds me of Cheryl Lee. That's interesting. Like, like in a lot of the way, especially when she's Buffy. Buffy's the crazy one. Buffy's right? like, the, yeah, the yeah. Um, especially when she's Buffy, she reminds me very much of like that kind of like you know how Cheryl Lee plays Laura when she's like depressed and right melancholy like it very much reminded me of that and I, I thought it was really good that's interesting that's a pretty good comparison i guess mm. i don't know like i just i'm always i'm always 
excited when I find movies that are like different than what you would expect. Like, a when did you first see this? So I was like maybe seventeen or eighteen. Oh, okay, so you saw it. So it's weird because like I tried to rent it a few times when I was a kid, and it was always out. Like for some reason, the couple times that I thought like, oh, I should rent April Fool's Day, because I love the um, the box art is a. Uh, her with her hair tied into a noose and holding a knife behind her back with like all the people in front of her. Great box cover. Yeah. And it always like made me want to watch it. Um, and I didn't know anything about it. Like there were other kids in school that had seen it and said that it was good. Um, but for some reason, like it was never in when I went to rent it, mm-hmm. uh, movie King. Um, so I was, I think I actually saw it for the first time. I bought it at a video clearance outlet. For like three dollars or something on VHS, and I think that was the first time I'd ever ever seen it. So maybe I was like eighteen. Yeah. Um. But really surprised, and at that point, I'd probably seen like I don't know, several hundred horror movies in my life at eighteen years old, and sure, like it still came off as you know fresh and interesting and fun, and yeah. I don't know. It's just it's. I'm assuming I saw it. probably when it came out on DVD, and you bought it. I because yeah. you were the to- one that told me to watch it i think in that couple summers where i was watching horror movies a lot um back in my 20s so yeah uh, i think that's probably what made that sounds right I, I i do own it on dvd so yeah so i was a little older when i saw it but like yeah i was really impressed with it just because it's competent like right all the way through like you talked about like um like i think it's like a really good just like slasher movie but it has a unique location i think that's another element that i think is really cool is like is that it's a realistic isolation. Right. Because they've took a ferry over to this island. And, you know, I mean, and it, it feels, because of those, the way it's the story set up, it feels isolated. Uh, yeah, which is a the, cool the feeling. The house has a good personality to it. And the island itself is like, right. and in, yeah, like you said, like an interesting setting. And, yeah. Um, I'm really surprised that, like, the, the critical hate, like, whatever, because, you know, mid-80s, like, I think most people are still kind of just shitting on horror routinely but um i'm surprised by the audience reaction the um well the 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 modern like reviews like you know um aren't very kind to it either like in terms of people going back and like looking at old horror movies and then so it's 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 pretty like you know roundly like even back when it first came out and then also i mean but there's some really um like i'm pretty sure it was ebert like I mean, didn't give it four stars or anything, but it's like I think it was like two and a half stars. Like he he overall like liked it. Um, Paul Anastasio who hates like this, he's come up a number of times in our uh, in the Washington Post, right? Um, and New York Times, I guess he wrote for both. But it's like um, he's been on these horror lists a lot, like because he just oh, was always shitting on horror movies, and uh, he had a really positive review of this. So I mean, there it's it's really weird, like that there's some really notable critics that actually really like the movie, yeah. and then. Um, others who don't, but even like horror movie websites that like from the past 10 years that have a lot of reviews up, a lot of them don't seem to care for it that much. That's interesting. Maybe yeah. that's the element of the fact that it's not a real slasher movie. It could be. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's like, I'll just use for example, and I, I don't really care for this guy, but um, this guy, Nick uh, Shogger um, from Lessons of Darkness. It's a horror movie review website that has a lot of reviews on it. Um, he, he, he kind of criticized that. Well, one, he says that Walton bungles each and every murder 
foregoing, foregoing gore and nudity, uh, which are traditional and necessary for 80s horror movies, and not even bothering to show at least a few of a, a few of uh, the slangs in the movie, um, either out of laziness or editorial incompetence. He says, "What, what a that's, that's dumb." <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Like so, so does he not understand the like you can't show the murders because, because they didn't really have to. real right. Like yeah. in order to show a murder, you'd have to show her being like, "Hey, like this is what's going on," and come hide in yeah this it, part of my house and help me play this prank. Right. Um, it's, al- it's almost like you stop watching it halfway. The argument about nudity, like that's really dumb too. Like, look, if I was a fourteen-year-old, <laughs> right. like maybe I would have been disappointed that I didn't get to see like copious gore or like like boobs. Right. But as an adult, like, yeah, I agree. Like, how can you be disappointed? In- yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think they're. I think they're traditional, but I don't think they're necessary <laughs> to 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 be a good movie, like a horror movie in the eighties. Um, and I, I'm trying to think. He ends the review saying that um, and I I don't remember this, but he's uh, he says I've seen this film before as an episode of the Golden Girls, and Muffy St. John is no Dorothy Spornak. Um, and I'm trying to remember because I'm pretty familiar with Golden Girls like episodes, and I don't remember like a an episode that has this premise to some degree. Yeah, there's a um, 10 Little Indians Golden Girls episode. Is there? I can't believe I know this, but yes. Yeah? They go to some all-inclusive um, seniors resort. Yeah. And they think that... Who is it? I think they think that Blanche maybe has murdered somebody. Okay. And it turns out that it's a joke. I have this really vivid, like, record. There's something with, like, a vase or something. I mm. can really, like, picture Yeah, it. right, yeah. They're all dressed up and... That's interesting. There's, I like, used... a dead body in Blanche's bed or something like yeah. that. And it's some guy that, like, she used to know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, okay, I don't remember yeah, the exact, yeah, But, I mean, I, like, definitely it happened. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I remember episode where Blanche kills someone by having sex with him. Like, because, well, you know, he's old. Like, you know, but, um, but I don't remember that. That's interesting. Um... So yeah, I mean, that, but that's the kind of that's the kind of sh- I, I think that's part of what you're dealing with, especially in some of these reviews. Right. Is my point of, of reading that is because I do think you have people that look at the '80s in a very specific way of like what they want out of these movies, and I do think it's like gore and deaths and tits. So like con- that's it's, it's, it's so condescending though. It's like you're almost like completely devaluing like any importance that these not that like most of these movies have any real importance anyway but, but if you're a horror fan they, they they do like they're all their own unique thing like even sure. if they're copycats or ripoffs of some other like formula you know they're still their own movie and they yeah. all can stand on their own i think and right. i mean i like the fact that it's it's different and it's yeah i do too like what you would expect yeah i, I really think the setting plays like a big role so this this is a, re- a website review from somebody like recently in the past like eight years i think dude just like go watch like porn or something <laughs> like that. like what right yeah uh, <clears throat> um yeah this movie's notable because it has um it does have uh, i looked him up it's tom f wilson um mm, Biff, right. um from back to the future is um is is in this uh, one of the one of the college kids that are there um, but yeah, I like I like the movie. They, they apparently they had a different ending. Do you know about that? Like uh, initially, where there was going to be a murder, like at the end, like like that's their that was their coda kind. Yeah, of. I think I knew that. 
like where I think like Muffy gets does get murdered um, at the end by her brother. I think um, he's like trying to take over, mm. like you know. But um, but no, I think it works better. Honestly, yeah. that it's all just a right. joke. Uh, have you ever seen the remake? That's the last thing I want to ask. No. Okay. I know it's like 2008, I think, or something, something like that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, nah, I don't really have, a, like, I don't see the need to see a remake of it. True. I think it would probably just be like, like a CW, I know what you did last summer-esque, like, thing that I Like everything was in the 2000s. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel the need to watch it. Right. Okay. Any last thoughts on this? No, just, you know, it's, it's pretty brief. Like, it's fun to watch. And I think that it's worth watching if you've never seen it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good movie. Okay, so number four on your list is Night of the Creeps, directed by Fred Decker, stars Jason Lively, Tom Atkins, Joe Whitlow, has a 75% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 70% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much? Uh, so, it follows the story of a meteor crashing in this small, where they can, not Indiana, somewhere like this small town it's um, it's fine we don't have listeners from the midwest anyway so it's uh, okay <laughs> you, can, you can just um somewhere okay. and this meteor crashes and it contains these alien like parasites that can take over a human body and turn it into a zombie basically and that's how they breed um but the night that the meteor crashes in like the 1950s i guess is when it starts right um the body they inhabit ends up getting like cryogenically frozen basically um, until the eighties when um, the two main characters, well, two of the main characters, the main character and his best friend um, break it out as part of a like ridiculous, like college hazing prank um, releasing the creeps who are these like leech slug esque like creatures that skitter around and jump into your mouth. Um, releasing them and then basically like zombifying the entire fraternity and like a portion of the rest of the town. Um, Tom Atkins plays the like woefully inept, drunken, like police detective. Yeah. Um, that's trying to solve these crimes because he was there the night of like the original, um, incident or whatever. Right. Um, and they eventually, like, sort of overcome them, but then, like, you see that, like, the creeps aren't actually dead, and sort of felt like always that it was setting up a sequel that never happened, so I don't know, like, if maybe, maybe it didn't do well at the box office, I'm not sure, like, what, I mean, obviously, when this movie came out, I wasn't paying attention to that kind of stuff. Um, I love the fact that it's, it's as much like a John Hughes, like, teen dramedy or like young adult dramedy as it is you know a straight up horror movie um it's got some really funny lines it's got some really there's a scene with um uh, ron howard's brother right isn't that no 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 it's um what's his name uh dick miller is um yes dick miller yeah running the arsenal like the yep. weapons mm-hmm. like depot down in the police station and um, the detective has to go sign out a flamethrower so they can kill the creeps. Right. And, yeah, that's good. Um. Yeah. There. Uh. Yeah. Because uh, he he shows up in this movie, and then um, what's the other character actor's name? David Paymer. Yeah. He's um. Shows up early on as a scientist. Yeah. 
it was funny to see him so young. But just um, you know, really good interactions I think between the characters. Um, I like the romance angle in it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else. Uh, oh yeah, I looked her up and I've already forgotten about her. Cynthia is the character's name. Yeah, I, I don't. Whitlow. Yeah. Like I, when I watched this again, like I looked her up because I was like, man, I actually kind of like her, and I don't think I'd ever seen her like in anything else she's been in. Yeah, she's another one. There's there's a lot of women that were leads, um, that like had like a six or six year run, like and just kind of fall off, and you never hear from them ever again. Um, the last the last thing she last thing she did was uh. In 88, she did an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Oh. And then in 92, she did an episode of Swamp Thing. Nice. Yeah. I remember that Swamp Thing series. Yeah. Um, so, it's a fun movie. Um, I think that it's got a really good, like, tongue-in-cheek sense of humor to it. Um, it actually does a lot of surprising things. So, one of the characters is, I guess, had polio. Like, he's on, like, um, mm-hmm. the canes that, like, you kind of hold the um, the grips and then they, like, wrap around, like, your arms and mm-hmm. gets mocked and bullied but has, like, a lot of, like, confidence and mm-hmm. is basically, like, the voice of reason to his, like, moderately stupid friend um, and ends up dying, like, which is really surprising, like, when you mm-hmm. see him die in the movie. Yeah. Um, a lot of pretty, like, brutal deaths in this movie. Um, I don't know, like, for... So, I guess at, at heart, like, it's kind of a zombie movie, but it's sort of a zombie movie by way of, like, the blob, kind of, or... Right. Even, like, the stuff, I suppose, because it's sure. a similar idea. Um, or Vader whatever. Invaders, invaders. Yeah, or right. Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, but done in a really funny way. Like, Atkins, who I always, like, think of as Tom Skerritt. Like, yeah, we like, talked about this a couple weeks ago. I do the same thing where I confuse Tom Skerritt and Tom Atkins. Yeah, like, they're, like, like Tom Atkins is the poor man's Tom Skerritt. Yeah. Um, really funny performance in it. You know, um, the cop that, like, nobly sacrifices himself so they can destroy the creeps. Right. Um, because, like, he's been depressed his whole life because his, like, high school sweetheart like cheated on him and then right. got killed by an axe murderer uh which is a pretty funny subplot not funny but like like when he comes when the axe murderer's corpse comes back because it has the the creeps in it and they have to murder him again um it's a movie that i loved when i was young it's something that i think i think i watched it at a sleepover for the first time and like we all really liked it a lot and um i'm not comfortable with things like leeches or slugs so it's especially like effective well when especially when i was young like that idea of something trying to get into your mouth to like take you over is really uncomfortable to me absolutely and for being such a cheap effect in this movie like they do it really well like it's done to pretty great effect Mm -hmm. um and it's weird because oh man what, what what did it remind me of there's that scene when they're in the basement and like they're all kind of like oh like like Stranger Things like the way they do Stranger Things now with um the others the upside down worlds like things mm-hmm. how they're all like parasitic kind of especially in this last season right right in the third and there's yeah, just yeah. that scene with like all of the creeps like swarming over themselves like mm-hmm. at the the place where they're all like breeding and that kind of um 
I wonder if that's the inspiration in Stranger Things then for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Just the way they move. I watched like a 30 minute video with the Duffer Brothers like this past week where they were talking about influences um, for all the seasons. Uh, I think GQ put it out or something like that. But it's, um, I did not, they did not mention any of the creeps, but you could tell it was like really polished to where like they were just talking about the things people know right um so i i'm sure those guys like with the things they were talking about in that video know yeah especially with their absolute love of like everything from the 1980s right yeah um but yeah it's 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 a really fun movie it's goes by really fast makes you laugh yeah because there's a little bit of it that is kind of a satire it is you know i mean like even though it's a pretty effective horror movie because of the general uh, creepiness i guess like you know with the bugs and everything especially for someone who hates bugs like me um there's there's still an element of satire to the whole thing where it's a little tongue-in-cheek at times especially i think with the atkins detective character um i think they know it's ridiculous like that character and that he's like this hard-boiled like you know drunkard you know is right um i, I mean i i think that role's written that way and just the ridiculousness of like them at the end like killing all the zombies like mm-hmm. these two, like yeah, I mean, like maybe like eighteen or nineteen year old kids with mm-hmm. like no experience in life, like just going mm-hmm. out there and just like murdering like all these zombie creatures yeah. and yeah, yeah. But I, to your point, I also I do really like the dynamic of the two main male leads in it. Yeah, um, where the ones like you know, because you don't really see that kind of stuff that often. I thought it was really interesting, like you said about like you know the one kid being handicapped, but he's the confident one and he's the one actually like. The swatting his friend, right. you know, but um, like you don't see like things like uh, I mean, you hear mental health talked about in the idea like oh they're crazy or they had this trauma in their life or anything like that. But it's really interesting to see a movie in the mid '80s where they're talking openly about depression, right? Um, and you know his friend's depressed and like you know doesn't have a lot of motivation to do things, and it's like I really like that dynamic of like they're both kind of nerds, you know, and but they end up being the heroes, and I yeah. think that's like part of the satire is like. Um, is like by the end he's like this almost like uh like Rambo type figure you know like the kid like he's gained all this confidence and he gets the girl and everything it's like um I I think that's really neat and um he's really good at Jason Lively's really good in it like um the only thing I think I know him from is um European Vacation like Mm. he plays Russ Griswold um Rusty Rusty Russ Rusty 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 Griswold um in European Vacation that um. But yeah, he's 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 good in this. Um, that there's that scene where they're in the dorm room, and is it, is it JC or JD or whatever is the the handicapped kid? Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Anyway, so that guy, that character, and like is angry at um the main character for like JC, yeah, for not being like you know for being mopey and for giving up and like it's a really good like exchange really good dialogue mm-hmm. and it's kind of rare to see that stuff in a horror movie too sure. like where they're just as, like he's um fred decker's just as interested in building these characters in like a realistic dynamic with each other as much as he is like telling a horror like showing a horror sure. movie sure. like story so yeah. i don't know it's um again it's another movie where it just kind of feels like, it's different enough to make it more interesting than... And I love The Blob. Like, The Blob is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, both the original and the 
the eighties remake. Like I like both yeah. those movies a lot. Um, and I I love that like invaders from outer space thing. Like, yeah. Like the H.P. Lovecraft, like, color out of space mm-hmm. type idea mm-hmm. of, like, yeah. the thing coming from another world and, like, taking over you mm-hmm. as a human. And it's just yeah, really well done, really fun to watch. Like, it's a yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah. Did you notice all the last names in it? Because uh, her name's Cynthia Cronenberg. Oh, right. Um, then Tom Atkins is Ray Cameron. And then um, uh, J.C.'s Hoop, J.C. Hooper. And then there's oh. Detective Landis and Detective and Sergeant Rainey. Um, right. Yeah, like they're all like, um, you know, directors. Um, yeah, that's um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, actually. no, it's, yeah, because it's like because you don't they don't really except for the detectives. That's the only reason I even noticed it. It was the tech, like the detectives and the cops like they use their last names and it kind of dawned on me because they, I don't even think they mention the last names of the kids a lot of times. Um, I can't that, remember that often. But, um, yeah, I thought that was... Oh, and then uh, the main character, um, Chris's last name is Romero. Romero. Um, yeah. Um, so that's cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I this was one of my, like, favorite horror movies as a kid. Like, I absolutely loved this movie. I watched it, again, like, way too many times. And I think it's because it's a fun, easy watch in 90 minutes or so. Right. And it's not like taking it it's not too dark but it's still creepy for a horror movie and um yeah i i, I mostly held up like you know i still enjoyed watching it like after all these years it's the first time i've probably seen it since like 1988 or something like that you but. say mostly held up i don't think there's anything about it that it's dated a little bit in its look it's i think that's mainly what i'm thinking of is it's, it feels dated and especially i mean some of the effects and stuff like that certainly feel dated there's some really good effects though like some really good practical effects like some yeah the dog when it gets um possessed yeah yeah yeah, that's really cool yeah uh yeah like Mm -hmm. that's really well done Mm -hmm. um i think the the axe murderer's corpse like when they confront him in the the alleyway is pretty well done like Mm -hmm. the head explosions i like a lot i don't know yeah yeah, some of it just was very plasticky and just I I just feel like it. it looks like it's being it's filmed on the set. Like it doesn't yeah. look like they actually filmed it in a real town. Like everything feels like it's a set. Oh yeah, yeah, or like was, a back lot or something. Yeah, well, I think it was. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, but it feels it look it doesn't have it has that look. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, like because as much as I we've somewhere talked about the burbs, as much as um I absolutely adore the burbs. It's like probably one of my favorite comedies of all time. Like. And as I've seen that movie again like two hundred times probably in my life um, <laughs> from when I was a kid, but um, I never noticed the set aspect to it until like I, I was on mushrooms one time and watched it, <laughs> and I was like it was like blew my mind. It was like oh my god, I could like suddenly see how everything was. Just, I really right. thought like as a kid, and I just went with that my whole life thinking. Oh, this is like a cul-de-sac in a neighborhood that like right. maybe people hadn't moved into yet, and like not thinking that like you know no asshole like you know you, they just have a big set and you know and this is um and they make the cul-de-sac in a big warehouse. Um, I mean they blow up a house, right? <laughs> so. Well, again, my in my young thinking, it was the idea that it, like oh well they'll just rebuild it because it's like a new construction in a neighborhood right. that's like all i can imagine like how they would film this thing and then like when i was on mushrooms i saw all like the little signs of like you know like how the sky doesn't look quite right and like um, I, mean, I think I, I i think it was filmed 
like on a lot would be it was guess. yeah yeah it was it was it was yeah it was a set built on a lot like you know yeah um we wasn't... might talk about the burbs i don't know i like the burbs i don't like it as much as you do yeah it's um it ends too abruptly for me like that's my only problem with the burbs really you think so it's just kind of like that whole end sequence is like 20 minutes long like from right the but time... the cops are going to arrest um tom uh tom hanks and, i like how enforces talk about the birds <laughs> um then all of a sudden it's like wait we're just gonna arrest these immigrant people like they're clear and then they're like oh there's bodies like well guess you guys were right and then that's just it nah nah when was the last time you watched this uh three months ago oh that it, it's it's longer than that it's longer than what it, you're it thinking. felt really short to it's, me. it's 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 a, there's there's a little bit of a build to like the revelation there like because it's like there's a whole thing with him, like him trying to kill him like in the back of the ambulance. Yeah. And like, you know, the the Pinocchio takedown from Bruce Stern and <laughs> um hey Pinocchio, where are you going? Um and then it's like, yeah, but and then it's just like the reveal like, you know, where Corey Feldman just like pulls the sheet right. away from the trunk and it's like And that's the end of the movie. Maybe maybe my house is haunted. I don't know what that sound mm-hmm. was um so but uh, oh okay so you mean like after that reveal like there's right, like it just ends oh yeah i don't know anyway <laughs> burbs are, burbs are good movies. Yeah. it's funny yeah um so yeah night of the creeps really good movie like I, I i really enjoyed it um still after all these years okay so number three on your list um and we'll take this opportunity probably like to talk about Rucker Hauer. But um, number three on your list is The Hitcher, directed by Robert Harmon and stars C. Thomas Howe, uh, Rucker Hauer, Jennifer Jason Lee. It has a uh, 60% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 74% from audiences. Uh, and many people that uh, watch watch film probably know Rucker Hauer passed away this week. Um so we'll take some time to talk about Rucker Hauer as well here as we're talking about this. But did you want to go ahead and explain a little bit about the Hitcher and what you like about it? So it's much? pretty pretty basic premise. Well, not basic, but it's a pretty simple premise. Um, C. Thomas Howe is a guy that's paid to transport a car from Chicago to California, mm-hmm. um, and runs into a rainstorm while crossing, I guess, the desert of uh, probably Arizona, maybe or Nevada. I guess is where he is. I don't remember. We don't have any listeners there either. It's fine. Okay. Um, so picks up, passes an abandoned car on the road, and then picks up Rucker Hauer, um, who like immediately like, basically tells him like, "I'm gonna kill you." Like just like I killed that person back there. Um, C. Thomas Howe gets away from him, then he keeps like following him, like almost like a force of nature sort of. Mm-hmm. Um. The police think that, you know, C. Thomas Howell is the one that's, like, killing all these people that they're finding dead bodies because Rucker Howard murders a family and, like, just basically murders everyone. Um, he ends up, C. Thomas Howell ends up hooking up with a waitress from this restaurant that he goes into, played by um, Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee. Yeah. Um, you think they've kind of gotten away and then Rucker Howard kidnaps her. And kills her, which is, like, incredibly shocking the first time you see that happen. Like, Absolutely. her getting, like, ripped yeah. apart. 
Especially, yeah, the nature of the death is really gruesome. Yeah, he chains her between two vehicles and then basically rips her apart. Draws and quarters, yeah. And C. Thomas Howe has the ability to save her, but, like, because Rucker Howe is trying to force him, sort of, to, like, kill him. Um, but he can't do it. And then finally, after, like, she dies, um, you know, he's able to kill the Hitcher character. Um... Very dreamlike movie to me. Uh, it feels like unreal at times. I've always kind of thought, I, I had a theory for a while that C. Thomas Howell actually died in the rainstorm in the beginning. And this is like an element of like purgatory or hell that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of like the almost like unkillable supernatural nature of Howard's character, this Hitcher character to appear and disappear. And like nobody else ever really sees him. And he's just kind of like, he shows up to murder people and then just kind of like goes away and like leaves. See Thomas Hal, like sort of holding the bag on the murders. That's um, interesting. I don't know if I that, like yeah. necessarily believe that's true, yeah. but it's like, there's certain things about it that kind of feel that way. Like, especially that it's, it's sort of like the Phantasm movies, right? Like when you watch like, like Phantasm three, where it's like empty landscapes and like nothing feels like right lived in or real. Like that's sort of yeah. what this movie feels like to me. That it's just a lot of like, like there's nobody in this world but the people that like need to be there to advance the plot. Maybe that's actually like a condemnation of the movie. Yeah, in I, some ways, it's but. actually my biggest complaint about the movie. Probably is that I think the like the middle sequence of the movie, like basically like leading up to like Jennifer Jason Lee's death, and then like like from the like the initial stuff to that, it all feels very repetitive to me. It's like here's these cops that like think he's the bad guy and they die, and then now here's these other cops that think he's the bad guy and then they die, and then it's just like. There's too much of that chasing at times for me. Like, yeah. I think you could cut out some of those sequences and make it a little tighter. And that doesn't bother me. I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was a little repetitive. Maybe like, it also is the fact that I do kind of view it as that. Like, sure, right. I can see. That's, right, that's why I said it. That's what I was actually thinking was interesting is that, like, it like, actually solves that problem if that's the case. Even if it's not that, maybe it's sort of like almost like a morality play where that's because he's like this aimless like shiftless kid in the beginning Mm -hmm. who's just kind of like he has this job because somebody got this job for him and he doesn't really have anything else going on in his life yeah his brother right his brother got the job for him because that's who he tries to call right get himself out of trouble and that's the other thing too is he's never able to like get a hold of anybody to verify who he is or anything and um i mean howard's really like great in it Mm -hmm. next to like um Next to the Blade Runner, like his role there, like I think it's probably my favorite, second favorite Howard role. Yeah, yeah, Howard. It, it's yeah, it's Roy Batty than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like appropriately gruesome. Um, I think it's got some really good tension. Uh, C. Thomas Howe plays like this panicked, like idiot, basically really well. Not not that he's an idiot. He's just like this panicky, like guy that wants to do the right thing, but also just wants to get away from this like evil that's tracking him i think he's i think he's better after the way he plays that character after jennifer jason lee's death 
than before. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think there's actually a couple like laughable scenes with him before that where he's trying to act scared and stuff. That's just kind of hmm. it made me kind of just chuckle like, oh. I mean, it's definitely his like his moment of like becoming a man. Right. It's like when she dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I think he plays that much better than like the, the scared kid yeah. at times. Um, but I love the desert landscape. Like I'll I always am a sucker for things that take place in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um I like the moments of tension where you think that like maybe the cops have caught him or mm-hmm. you know, like you're just waiting for this thing to come back, like, you know, for um, Rucker, like freaking Rucker Howard shooting a helicopter out of the yeah, air, yeah, yeah, that's right. like it's ridiculous. I mean, there's this, there's some really like great like action scenes in it. It's mm-hmm. almost like um, like a like psychotic episode of The Fall Guy or something is what mm-hmm. it feels like in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that's a really dated reference. I don't know if anyone <laughs> like listening knows what The Fall Guy is, but um, just. It's really enjoyable. It doesn't yeah. feel long to me. Like, it yeah. feels like it's, like, well-paced. And it just, like, you know, is like, there's a lot of immediacy to what's happening. And, again, like, Rucker Howard is great in it. Yeah, and I see, and I think Rucker Howard, that, that character, like, the, the Hitcher character, is, is really interesting. Because I, I always got the impression, and this is only the second time I've watched this, but I always got the impression that, like, that character... There is something supernatural about him, obviously. Like, but it's like it's almost like he almost feels like this like cursed individual who sure. who wants see Thomas Howe. Like, it's it's like when he first meets him, he sees something in him, and he wants to. It's almost like he's one. He wants to see Thomas Howe kill him. Yeah, I think that's right. Like he's trying to build, like turn him into a killer. Right. In a lot of ways. And one, like one, he wants to die, but it's like, I always kind of got the impression at the end. It's like, see Thomas Howe is now the hitcher is yeah. how I read it. Like he's like, he takes over the mantle almost. I think that's entirely possible. Um, and because it's, almost, it's, go ahead. It's played in some ways as like a straight slasher, but there's definitely an unspoken, like supernatural element to mm-hmm. everything that's happening. Not even unspoken, because there's kind of, like, references to it and things that, like, Howard says throughout the movie, but... Yeah. That's, again, like, one of the reasons why, to me, I think that maybe, like, the C. Thomas Howe character died. And this is mm-hmm. him just, like... Right. He's got nothing that gets him into heaven, but he's got to, like, fight his way there. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that does it. And, you know, like, the Hitcher character is just, like, this archetype or whatever of right like being this insurmountable thing that somebody has to overcome in order to prove themselves do you think if Howard had not done this role do you think it would be this movie would be on this list <sighs> i think it depends on who would do it yeah probably not like i think it's a really interesting idea but it's so i'll give you a few names real quick okay terrence stamp turned it down Mid-80s, Terrence Stamp would have been good in that role. Sam Sam Elliott wanted too much money. I feel like Sam Elliott's a little too gregarious to play it. But maybe that would have lended like an extra element of like creepiness to it. Right. Because he's pretty actually creepy. Did you watch the season of Justified that he was on? Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was really good at being kind of creepy and menacing. 
That's true. And especially without his mustache. But um, So other people that were considered were Harry Dean Stannon. That would be terrible. Uh, Bowie. Oh, man. That would be interesting. That would be a completely different movie. Sure. I can't imagine Bowie driving a... Right. ...being like monster truck. Yeah. Yeah. Like shooting at a police helicopter. Right. Uh, Sting was the last person. Oh, Sting would have been good. Yeah. Like channeling that like um, Fade... Like Fade Harkonnen. Yeah, right. Like Energy. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Like that oily, like... Yeah. Gross sexuality that that character has. Right. Let me give you a couple names for Jim real quick that were considered... Um, and maybe some of these were actually offered and turned down. Uh, Matthew Modine. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Tom Cruise. Oh. Who I think turned it down. I don't know. That'd be weird. Yeah. Like, all the right moves-ish Tom Cruise. Like, that maybe. Mm. Or risky business-ish Tom Cruise. Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I wish it was Emilio Estevez. That'd be really funny. See, you're making light. I actually think Emilio Estevez is the best out of all those for that role. What? Emilio Estevez is a weirdo and a bum. <laughs> What's your issue with Emilio Estevez? I don't know. I just I don't take him seriously as an actor. Really? Name me three like competent Emilio Estevez performances. Young Guns 2. Maybe. Bad movie, but wisdom, he's good in. And then, um, what's that one movie that he directed and he had, uh, the, what was it, like the assassination of Bobby Kennedy or something like that? I've never seen it. So, yeah, there's three. (laughs) I don't know, he feels too... I don't know, I think Emilio... Okay, so like... Maybe like, like Breakfast Club, Emilio Estevez, like for the, fir- for the first half, yeah, 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 and then like kind of like um, yeah, like uh, see, I don't know. Do you remember Wisdom? Uh huh. Okay. Um, we'll talk about it off air then. Um, but yeah, he's good in that movie. It's it's not a good movie, but he's good in it. It's him and Demi Moore. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess he uh, Bonnie and Clyde type, Bonnie and Clyde type movie. Like, I guess he would have been fine. And, and if he would have done that in the second half, it, it would have been really good. What's the movie? Is it Men at Work where he's a trash man? Yeah, it's him and Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Or Men at Work, yeah. That's um, that's a dumb but fun movie. Um, I mean, it's not good, but it's fun. Uh, yeah, he, he, has, he has some decent things in the 80s. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I never thought I was going to be defending Emilio Estevez, like, ever in my life. But, um... <laughs> It's like, this is not the hill I want to die on. I want to defend on Emilio Estevez. Uh, real quick, have you ever seen the sequel to this? Uh, it came no. out a couple years ago. Yeah, a couple pretty, years ago? I think it wasn't that long ago. Really? No, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, no. No, no. I, I want to watch it now. I um I read the, the, the plot synopsis, and um it's not what I want would want it to be. Is so. C. Thomas Howell in it? Yes. Really? Yeah, C. Thomas Howell's in it. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Um, I think, it's tra- I think it's straight to video. I'll obviously. put that on my list. Um, okay, so Ebert, uh, with this movie, uh, gave it zero out of f- four stars. Says the movie does not develop into a standard story of teenage- teenagers in love 
and the lead character's death, she is tied hand and foot between two giant trucks and pulled in two, is so grotesquely out of proportion with the main business of this movie that it suggests a deep sickness at the screenplay stage. There are other disgusting moments, as when a police dog feasts on the blood dripping from its master's neck and when Hal finds a human finger in french fries. The Hitcher grants the Howard character almost supernatural powers, although that makes the movie impossible to accept on any realistic level, even though that didn't bother me. I could see that the film was meant as an allegory, not a documentary. But on its own terms, the movie is diseased and corrupt. I would have admired it more had it found the courage to acknowledge the real relationship it was portraying between Howe and Rucker, but no, it prefers to disguise itself as a violent thriller, and on that level it is reprehensible. I should say that he never explains what he means by that at all in the review, talking about what the real relationship is between Hal and Rucker, so I don't know what I think it's that supernatural connection. Yeah, like that like killer killer. Kind right, of, like, like obviously, Rucker Howard's character doesn't have yeah. any compunction about it. And if that's the case, I kind of agree with him a little bit. That I would have liked to seen that developed a little bit more, yeah. if that's the case. Like, I'm okay with that mystery. I mean, I yeah. think that maybe they weren't that comfortable, like... Like, now you could have a villain and a hero have, like, deep interaction and still, like, show... A connection between the two of them is still bring mm-hmm. your hero back and maybe they just weren't confident enough. Do you think that's changed that much since 1986? Like the Shades of Grey thing? That you had to have it be basically good and evil? I think that it was changing around this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of like really famous anti-heroes from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like built into like today where almost all your heroes... Except outside of like comic book movies or anti-heroes. Yeah. And even some of the more popular ones like... You look at like the rise of like pop culture around that time. I mean you have... You know Wolverine and Deadpool in comics who mm-hmm. are like two of the more popular Marvel characters. Right. You know from the late 80s through like the mid 90s. And it's their like absolute anti-heroes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So... Do you feel this movie is any more diseased or corrupt to use his language than any other horror movie from this time period? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. I, I, so I'm trying to figure out like why Ebert had such a bad reaction. Then. I think it's Jennifer Jason Lee getting ripped in half. I mean, he is very sensitive to female like deaths. Right. And, and that happens with what, 20 minutes left in the movie? Something like maybe that. Maybe a little more even than 20 maybe 25 but it's like yeah. it's basically yeah i mean it goes into like the final like the last third of that movie right yeah him, like yeah I, I i would say i think it's 30 minutes i think almost exactly yeah maybe that's it maybe he just walked out with that like in his mind and yeah right that was too much for him and sure. he definitely does not appreciate a horror movie that is just a horror movie like he can't right he's not at the point yet in his life where he can divorce himself from like gratuitous violence yeah um and it's pretty gratuitously violent. Like, there's some sure. really violent stuff. Sure. Um, but I, I think also he kind of is missing the point. Like, I think he's right that it is allegory. And I think that, like, yeah. you need to understand that when you're telling, like, an allegory or a fable or a fairy tale or whatever, you're... There are certain liberties that are taking with taken with, like, the characters getting to know each other or, like, building, like, that believable yeah. world. And it's more just about like 
you know, the meaning you take from the story as opposed to, like, the way the story's told, if that makes any sense. Sure, I get what you're saying. Um, but I really like it a lot. Yeah. Again, like, I think it's, like, maybe my second favorite Rucker Howard performance. Yeah. Whenever his filmography, so if we're going to talk about him a little sure, bit. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the day that he passed. Uh-huh. And realized that, like, I've seen maybe, like, 5% of that man's film <laughs> output. Uh-huh. And part of that has to do with the fact that, like, his first, like, 20-some movies were filmed. Sure, yeah. in the netherlands or whatever right. and most of them have not been like imported here yeah um but even like spetters like i love spetters um and he's really good in that and like i like the the will batty role in in blade runner is like his most iconic and seminal role that i want more life fucker and the tears and rain right like of I've, death yeah I've seen what gunships firing at each other in the something rim, and I've seen or at the gates. Uh, just it's so good. Yeah, and such so such a sympathetic role too for somebody that's like your main antagonist. That he just like doesn't want to get put out to pasture. Like he doesn't want to die. Oh man, Blade Runner. Yeah, no, that Blade Runner. Um, I feel bad because I actually just had that pulled up like just a second ago. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, the the uh, the tears and rain monologue. Uh, do you know the story behind that? That he actually changed that on set. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 his. Like it was, um, like it was like written in like one way, and um, he like went ahead and like tightened it up, and then added lines, and he's the one that added um, the tears and rain li- line to it, um. But yeah, I'd seen things you wouldn't believe. Um, attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Townhauser Gate. All those moments would be lost in time, like tears and rain, time to die. Um, and, and so well delivered. I mean, that like, was really well, well delivered. Um, in terms of like his other movies and stuff like that, like because he there's kind of like a gap almost like in the '90s, right? Like where it's like you don't hear from him. Yeah. Do you know what the... I was trying to figure out what the reasoning for that was. Like, is there something where he's he was difficult to work with, do you know? I have no idea. I thought I I thought around the time of Sin City, like, when he, like, took that priest role. Right. Um, I, I thought for sure that, like, I read articles around that time, and it was something, like, that people thought he was difficult to work with. I know that he did not get along with a lot of celebrities, um, but he got along with people really well like at like conventions or stuff like that if he went like people like he was really great with fans but apparently did not get along with celebrities it's interesting i mean a lot of actors especially a lot of foreign actors from that time had that yeah um that stigma i think yeah like klaus kinski like nobody ever wanted to work with klaus (laughs) right right yeah i've read those stories um do you remember did you ever see a action movie from the 80s uh wanted dead or alive do you remember this i couldn't remember like i saw that and I couldn't remember what it was, and the, I, I meant to look it up, and then I didn't. The box cover has him with a shotgun, where oh, he's, like, holding yeah. it on his... But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. talking about? Yeah. Great cover. Um, but, um, but yeah, he's he's really good in that. I like that movie. Like, That's it's an action movie from the 80s, but, I mean, it's... There's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, no. It was a fun movie, and I really liked him in it. But um, those, like, little roles that he ends up taking on in the 2000s, um, like The Priest. Like, he's really good in Sin City. Yeah, like. True. Um, but he, I mean, he doesn't get like really meaty stuff necessarily uh, again. But um, it also could just be something where the man made like 
made his money and maybe just well it's didn't... true like he was a humanitarian i mean he was, a, he was big in the environmental causes yeah. um and did a lot of like humanitarian work with environmental causes and then um he had his own um aids foundation mm. um oh no i didn't know that actually and um did we do a record howard shot last night no oh. we didn't that's a wasted opportunity yeah I couldn't um, have done any more shots last night, though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're still feeling it now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough. Um, it's 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 a shame that he's dead. I mean, yeah. it's, it's good that he has, like, some really, like, strong, like, seminal roles, especially this one in Blade Runner that you can look back on. Sure. Um, yeah, there's something he did back, I think, in the Netherlands that was, like, a TV series, like, just not too long mm. ago. That apparently, like I was when I was reading about it, has really good reviews. I don't know if that's up anywhere, but I wouldn't mind checking that out. Yeah, probably. that sounds interesting. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to number two. Number two. Okay, so number two on your list is Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, starring Barbara Crampton, Jeffrey Combs, Ted Sorrell, Ken Faree. has a 75% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 70% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie? It's just an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's story by the same name. Um, it involves two scientists that are researching, I guess, the effects of, like, resonance on, like, the pineal gland. Mm-hmm. Um, the one scientist, uh, Petrorius, is kind of like the typical, like, mad scientist. Um, and uh, Combs plays Crawford, um, Tillinghast, who's the like more sane like scientists um their machine the resonator like basically starts bringing these creatures into the world um crawford wants to stop it petroleus doesn't the machine like explodes and petroleus is like like disappears um or no it's decapitated i'm sorry right so uh, Crawford is arrested, accused of being like a murderer. Um, he's trying to tell his story about what happened, but nobody believes him except for the Barbara Crampton psychiatrist character who takes him into her, like under her care. They go back to the house and start experimenting with the machine again. Um, Petrorius like emerges as like a deformed version of himself from this other world. Um, it also is starting to like mutate crawford's pineal gland like by being around the machine um there's some stuff with uh they want they have to go down because pretorius comes back and won't let him shut the machine off so they have to go cut the power fight like this giant worm in the basement um decide they're not going to use the machine anymore but uh the psychiatrist crampton oh i can't remember the that the act like the name of the character Barbara Crampton's character, like, goes and turns it back on because she wants to feel the pleasure from it again. Um, some really weird, like, psychosexual stuff yeah. that, like, Stuart Gordon's, like, a pretty pretty big fan of. Um, it eventually, it causes Crawford's pineal gland to, like, mutate out of his head. So it's, like, a, like an external part of his body, um, which causes him to develop, like, an appetite for human brains. Um, they go back to the house... Um, the Petrorius monster, like, emerges and, like, basically eats Crawford, and they become, like, part of the same body. Um, Crawford fights him off, uh, the machine explodes, and, like, it drives Crampton insane. 
Um, Ken Forey gets, like, devoured by a swarm of, like, invisible bees or, like, mm-hmm. little, like, miniature bee things, which is actually a pretty awesome scene. Um, just from, like, the perspective of this movie, like, I, I really like Stuart Gordon a lot. And I think that he's, like, we talked about him in Reanimator, I think he's a pretty underrated director. Um, I love the body horror elements of it. Like, I love the visual effects in it. Um, even though Pretorius, like, there's... And you and I talked about this a little bit, like some silliness to the look of it. Like it still is like utterly alien. And yeah. I think it probably gets as close as anybody ever can to like visualizing Lovecraft's like words in like, like making sense of what Lovecraft was writing in a way that like works as like a, like a narrative mm-hmm. on the screen. Whereas I think most people... Like, most stuff you see that, like, is Lovecraft adapted, like, they always want to do Cthulhu because that's the, right like, the big Lovecraft draw, but, like, it misses the actual, like, horror part of the cosmic horror thing, and it just kind of makes it, like, ridiculous, like, rubbery monsters, and I think that Gordon kind of understands, like, the, the psychological horror element of Lovecraft, which is more about, like, seeing things that your brain can't comprehend. Right. Um... I mean, I, I I think Jeffrey Combs is great in it. Uh, maybe not as good as um, his character in Reanimator, but still, like, a good performance. Um, I like Barbara Crampton a lot in it. I love Ken Forey. Like, he's one of my favorite, like, secondary bit actors. And maybe, like, the best thing that Rob Zombie ever did was, like, give that man. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Tarantino, yeah. too, because Tarantino casts him. Did he? He's in Kill Bill, I think, right? I'm pretty remember. sure. I'll have to look it up. I can't remember that he's in that. No, maybe um, maybe not. Um, but anyway, yeah. Rob, Rob Zombie like definitely like resurrected yeah. that man's career yeah. and gave him like at least like recognition by like modern audiences. Yeah. Um, so just on its own, I think it's like a really fun movie. Um, it's got some really great like again like body horror elements to it. I like the way they do the creatures from the other world, like the um jellyfish like creatures mm-hmm. um with like the technical limitations of you know 1986 but it's still like a cool effect like whenever they're there like swimming around in the air and stuff um the other thing that i really like about this movie and honestly probably the reason it's number two on the list is kind of what i said in the sense that like nobody knows how to adapt lovecraft really like and it's some of the worst it always kind of misses the mark and I, like, racial, you know, insensitivity issues aside, like, I like Lovecraft a lot, and I think Lovecraft is at his best when he's crafting, like, smaller stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and From Beyond is really similar to, like, probably, like, one of my, like, two or three favorite Lovecraft stories, which is, like, The Dreams of the Witch House, which I think is really good. Um, but just recognizing that it's about, like, it's less about seeing, like, the cosmic horror and more about how someone reacts to the cosmic horror. Mm -hmm. And like, that's like the horrific thing. Um, and I think that I, I think that Gordon understands it and he actually has another movie. I think it's late nineties, early two thousands called, um, Dagon, which is an adaptation of that short story. That's Mm -hmm. really good. Like really well done. Um, and I just like, I, I, I like the choices Gordon makes. I think that he's, really good at like blending almost like a slapstick manic action 
to the way he films things with like actual like grotesque horrific you know like visuals um it definitely does not shy away from like being like like almost like gratuitously like violent in the way that he films stuff like he doesn't like ever hold back from showing you the terrible things that are happening to people. I think that description fits early Peter Jackson as well. Right. Well, Brain Dead is very similar yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, and like Meet the Feebles and um, yeah. even some parts of Heavenly Creatures too. Hmm. Is that right? Heavenly Creatures is what it's called. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, Jackson, like I, I loved Jackson like when I was younger and then it was really like I still stand by the Frighteners. As, like, a fun movie. Like, it's not, like, a good movie, necessarily, but there's a lot of, like, really fun elements to it. Sure. And I like the idea behind it a lot, and I like... I think it was something that was better on paper than what it turned out to be. Right. Um, And it may just be, like, that was his first taste of, like, an actual budget, like, making a mainstream release, like, motion picture, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. thing after Heavenly Creatures. Um, but then, like, Jackson, like, whatever, is always just going to be the Lord of the Rings director at this point, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I love these, the small, like, Lovecraft stories that are really just focused on, like, one person coming in contact with, like, the things beyond your understanding and then having to deal with that. And, like, it's, it's a relatively small movie in a lot of ways because it doesn't really take place, like, it's mostly just in that house. Yeah. Where, like, the majority of the action takes place. And I like that, too. Um, I think that that's a really difficult thing for somebody to do is, like, to film, like, a watchable, compelling movie that doesn't, like, have a lot of, how to say it, like, real movement to it. Like, where it really is just, like, the house, the insane asylum, the house, the hospital, the house. And then that's it. Um... And again, like, I love the visual effects in it. I think the practical effects are really good. Um, I think it's really disturbing, like, the idea of, like, like, when the thing, like, emerges from his head, you know, his, his pineal yeah. gland comes out. Like, it's really, like, grotesque and uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, I, I think all of the stuff uh, is pretty grotesque and disconcerting to look at. And, yeah, I mean, before we started talking about this, like, and you mentioned about thinking it does Lovecraft right it's like I was getting ready to like argue that point it seemed like just because I don't know it's like at times it's like I think it like some of the stuff I was going to say like looks stupid but I think it's just because I find it grotesque and so alien right to anything from my experience and at that point you're right like that's right that that is what it should be I should be grossed out and disgusted probably by it I mean so um, like, you read a description that Lovecraft writes of, like, like Yogg-Sothoth or Yarlatep yeah, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And so, one of the, like, main proponents of Lovecraft in the modern age is Guillermo del Toro. Like, Guillermo del Toro loves Lovecraft. Yeah, right. And has been trying for, I think, the better part of a decade now, maybe more than that, to make um, the mountains, at the Mountains of Madness or whatever uh-huh. it's called. Right. And I think when, like... The biggest stumbling block, I guess, from his perspective is that he wants to make it an R-rated movie because he wants to show, like, the the um, Migo, I think, or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. like, killing the people. But I think, so the thing there is that, like, when you read a description of these things, like, if you look at, like, illustrations, a lot of times they are just kind of, like, silly. 
mm-hmm. like the way that Lovecraft describes them and the way that people visualize them or like present them in a visual manner. And there has to be like a visceral element to it to not make it silly. Right. But like my fear with like um with Del Toro doing it is that you're never going to be able to do that in a way that I don't know, like and to talk about like stranger things again, like that universe comes the closest mm-hmm. I think to actually like doing it justice. Like these completely alien, unknowable creatures that still make some sort of sense from like a human like like a natural like physiological perspective yeah because i mean the one thing is like a spider <coughs> the one thing's like a spider like you know the other thing is kind of have these kind of like dog-esque sure. like you know natures to them so but combined with like a venus fly trap and like sure yeah, the slimy yeah. skin of like a toad right. or something and it's just which which you're right i mean like but it's like it's still like the the idea like that the monster at the end of this movie like the final form of pretorius that like he kind of takes like at the in, the in the last act of this where it's like it's kind of maybe slightly like almost like it's like it's like a common i don't even know how to describe it and maybe that's what's best about it is like it's like a dog slash spider slash right flesh but it's all kind of fleshy and like but it's but it's it, gr- meets, it's, it actually matches like a lot of what lovecraft yeah describes of like these these creatures right. And, you know, he, I don't know, he's just, he's really good at that. And I, I, I like him so much, especially because of, like, Reanimator and because of this. And, like, I think he's just a really, like, he had a really good sense for, like, what makes a horror movie enjoyable. And, like, it has to be a combination of kind of funny but not like it's like dark humor and then like scary and also like somewhat like psychologically compelling because we you know we talked about it in reanimator too and that like the psychology of um what's his name in reanimator howard herbert west herbert west yeah I mean, not like an incredibly complex character but still like a guy that's willing to go to any lengths sure to prove basically that he's right, you know, to like do this thing for science, like no matter what the cost and like the characters in this movie are the same, you know, like even though Crawford knows that they shouldn't do it, like they still are like using the machine, the resonator or whatever. And like, it leads to like, you know, his death basically. And I don't know, like I, 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 I think that Gordon, not that like every movie he makes is great. Like, in 87, he has a movie come out called Dolls, which is fine. Like, it's an okay horror movie, um, but not one that's going to make our list. But, like, he also, and we, we talked about this, like, off air a little bit. Like, I think he understands the fear of not being believed is, like, a really, like, palpable thing for most people. That, like, people want to be believed when they say something that they know is true. And most of his movies do involve, like, this idea that you can see something that shouldn't exist and no one's going to believe you when you tell them that it exists. Right. And that's, you know, Crawford in the mental institution in the first, mm-hmm. um, uh, the boyfriend in reanimator, you know, like talking about the, like uh, basically the entire premise of reanimator until the end that like, you know, he found a way to bring the dead back to life and 
there's a little girl in dolls that has the same like kind of storyline where she knows that these things are alive and like nobody believes her um but yeah just uh it's a really good movie i, I really like it a lot I actually probably like it a little more than Reanimator, honestly. Oh. Just from a personal perspective. Ooh. That's that's something. <laughs> Only because of the Lovecraft connection. Like I think it's yeah. a I, I think it's a a more difficult story to adapt that he does a really good job of adapting. Yeah. I mean maybe I like one I, I, I I would have Reanimator as probably like a top five movie out of this entire decade, so of horror movies myself, so that's 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 a lot for me to take in. Yeah, I don't know if it. I don't know if it's top five for me. That'd be interesting. Maybe yeah. I'll do that after we do eighty nine. Like I'll give you like my top five. Oh, I, I definitely want to do that. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll just go back and. Yeah, I kind of want to do a retrospective. Like yeah. once we're done, like kind of talking about it in like in a context now, like the decade. Um, I mean, I kind of have to agree with this one criticism from David Nuzair. It's it's probably like the how I feel about it. And I like this movie, but, um, is that it really starts off. Uh, he calls it like, uh, with this kind of like balls to the wall insanity, um, like that it promises. And then when it gets to the house in the middle and they're just in the house, that it slows down the movie. <clears throat> and, and I think then it's like a lot of that, like what you were talking about, like, uh, sexual like right this, you know stuff and everything and that it like he says it kind of drains it of its energy and momentum at that point hmm. and it's not until like basically like they get out of the house back to the hospital again and then like it ramps back up again but like that middle section really is just kind of blah and kind of slows the movie down in a lot of ways <clears throat> and i i kind of felt the same way it, was, it wasn't until they got back to the hospital and Jeffrey Combs is has you know yeah the things coming out of his head and killing people that it like starts getting interesting again. I don't really find the middle section like. <clears throat> I mean, it's slower, but again, I, it's like I also just found it bizarre. It is. It's weird. I mean, that's like part of Gordon's thing. Is yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and I didn't see how it tied into really honestly like a lot of the movie is like that. Whatever you called it pseudo psychosexual psychosexual yeah like. um only because it sets up like a motive for her to like want to go back and like mess with the resonator again. Yeah. otherwise like why does she want to sure yeah i suppose it's so. because she wants to feel like that pleasure that she felt right from it yeah. in the first place right and, yeah like it allows like the movie to like lead to its conclusion in right. a lot of ways and also you know again it's like that's his other thing too is the i don't know like the wanton pursuit of discovery basically or mm-hmm. like people doing things like taking great risks to try and do something from like a you know because of like personal gain and not like necessarily out of like the the altruism of like true like scientific discovery it's because like they like herbert west wants to feel um superior to everyone else and so he wants to prove that he's right Right. like at the risk of like killing like all these people sure but it never matters because in the end like it's still just about does my does my compound work you know and right for all of them in this movie even crawford who's like the voice of reason until he becomes like a brain-eating monster like still like pursuing this you know like personal gain from you know like 
this thing that they know is potentially fatal. Yeah. So I'm fine with the middle. I don't okay. know. Um, have you ever seen, I was just looking up Stuart Gordon, um, have you ever seen the Pit and the Pendulum movie that he did? Mm-hmm. That's, like, that's from the 90s, right? Yeah, 91. Yeah. Lance Hendrickson apparently is the star of it. I've I, seen um, the box a lot. Oh, it's an amalgamation of the Pit and the Pendulum and um, the Casco Monolato. Oh, that's interesting. Uh yeah, weird. For me, the best Poe adaptations, from a personal perspective, are the Corman ones from the sixties with um yeah, like Vincent Price right and yeah. Jack Nicholson's in one of them. I mean, there's it's his Mask of Red Death, his Pit in the Pendulum, even the Raven, which is just kind of silly, like with the dueling wizards and stuff. Like I I like like that take on yeah. Poe. Yeah. So I don't tend to watch like a lot of Poe. Yeah, I, I I don't tend to watch a lot of them either, and I think it's because I read Poe in a very specific way, and that reading tends not to be the prevalent reading of Poe. So it's like yeah. a lot of them just end up being this kind of just interpreting it just as a horror thing, and I think there's always a lot more going on in Poe than well, because Corman interprets <clears throat> it from like almost like a fanboy perspective, right? Like he's very much. In love with trying to cram as much stuff in all of those movies. Sure. And it's funny because usually I'm very... I grew up being very anti-literary adaptation. Like, I felt like if you're not going to adapt a literary work faithfully that you shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, like, I always loved, like, those Poe adaptations, even though they're not, like, necessarily faithful adaptations of the stories. But there's just something about... Yeah, I was just wondering, because I don't know how you do the Pit and the Pendulum for an hour and a half. Um, it's, it's got it's, other elements to it. Yeah, and well, that makes sense, too, with this Gordon movie, that it's like he's adding in a lot of, you know, other stories and kind right. of putting them together. But, um, yeah. Like, the Pit and the Pendulum is like a 20-minute segment of, like, an anthology or something. Sure. Like, if you just start telling sure. that story. Yeah, if you're just going to tell that story and that's all it is, like, yeah, it's only like 20 minutes long at most. It's interesting that it's, because Casco Amontillado is probably my favorite. Man, that's tough. One of my favorite Poe short stories. Like, I love that story. Like that and maybe The Black Cat. Mm. Yeah, it's Um, between Pit and the Pendulum and Fall of the House of Usher for me. That's also really good. Oh, that's another Corman one. Yeah, right. Fall House Officer. Yeah, the Corman Fall House Officer is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I should watch that now. Then. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I am I might go back, actually, and try to find some. But, um, because I, lo- I love the Pit and Pendulum. Not to spend too long on this, but it's like, I love it because of, I'm pretty sure it's a joke. Like, the whole thing, even though it's like, obviously, if you read it straight, it's just this really horrific situation where this, you know, guy, you know, can't escape death. Or is trying to escape and doesn't. But um, I'm pretty sure it's a joke that, like, like he tries to do all these things, like, through his education. Like, at one point, like, um, he tries to, like, use his steps to measure how big the room is. Um, as if that's going to somehow do something to stop him from being killed. Right. And he does a number of those things, like, where it's like he's using science and reason and logic and the whole thing is just 
a joke that's like none of those things save you in the end. Yeah, like that's I've never when, looked at it like that. Actually, know, that's interesting. Um, when when it, when it's your time, it's your time. Like you know, and none of that shit's gonna save you. Um, Poe was a God. Gorman did a Tomb of Legia like adaptation. Like he did, he adapted Elijah, a lot of yeah, yeah, Elijah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did Elijah thing. Um, like uh, Elijah's fantastic poem. Yeah. Like oh my god, so good. Um. Yeah. Or no, that's a short story. But it, no, there's a poem too, right? Like right, because the poem fragment is part of the short it story. Is. Yeah, it's been so many years since I read this now. But yeah, it's coming back to me. Because yeah, that's like the devouring worm. That's what it is. The devouring worm is the poem that's inside of yeah. um that story. Yeah, it's yeah, that's really good. The it's, conqueror worm. Conqueror worm. That's it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Conqueror worm. Yeah. Which is also another name for a Vincent Price like which movie that hammer did yeah. in the 70s yeah yeah, yeah. which yep. which yep. finder general i, have, I think yeah, is yeah. the american uh-huh. name but conqueror or no maybe it's the other way around like conqueror worm is the american name and yeah. which finder general is the british name but no, we should do that at some point we should uh we should watch some of that stuff and talk about poe and okay. those adaptations someday i mean um, I, I it's been probably decades since i've seen any of them oh yeah right when they used to show them on like what it was like Turner Movie Classics I or something like that? I had them on VHS. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I used to watch them on, when they were on some stations. They were those things that, like... So, I would go to Ames, um, which was our local department store in Northeast. Yeah. And Ames always had a rack of movies that were nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. And it was always, like, really bad transfers of, like... Right. Like, 60s and 70s B-movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bought, like, over the course of, like, a couple of months, all the corman post stuff from that because corman was like maybe my first like true like idol in film mm-hmm. like a guy that like like i read his autobiography when i was like yeah. i don't know 17 18 years old and man i was i i really like roger corman a lot i still like i love roger corman yeah i'm reading the um uh lloyd kaufman autobiography now which one um everything I need to learn about movies I learned from Toxie or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read that, like, yeah, like, a long time. Like, this is the one from, like, 20 years ago, right? Or something like that. Late 90s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. But he talks about how much he loves um, uh, Corman and uh, uh, Samuel Z. Arkoff. Yeah, yeah, I remember Um, that. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, I felt the same way about Yeah, it's it's a really good, like, um, like, kind of almost, like, indie gorilla filmmaking guide too like yeah. along with it like he gives like a lot we, of tips. you know we put out a series of books about like almost like that like for dummies series yeah but he did it with like writing a script filming a movie producing mm. a movie distributing a movie. Well, maybe, maybe maybe i read some of those then that too. was the original intent that um whatever the publisher when they approached him about it mm-hmm. that they wanted him to write basically just like a trauma like story right and he wanted to do it where like he was telling people how to make movies yeah so the first book is more of like a history of trauma slash like biography mm-hmm. and then yeah, the other I, ones are more like how to okay so maybe i read some of those too like because i wesley like let me borrow them like yeah you know years ago but, i actually kind of remember that yeah um back when i used to actually read uh, but uh yeah i'd like to do that poe thing now that i think about it like it's yeah, a good idea um okay so you ready to move on to number one i definitely am okay uh after we spent 20 minutes talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Right. um 
So, number one on your list is a movie that I said that I was never going to watch ever again in my entire life. Um, not because I disliked it at all, but because it, it's hard, hard to watch. Yeah, it's hard hard movie to watch. Um, but I did watch it again. Um, is Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, directed by John McNaughton, uh, starring Michael Rooker, Tom Towles, and Tracy Arnold. Has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 71% from audiences. Surprised the audience score isn't lower, actually. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, you want to tell us? Uh, not, not that there's a lot to tell, I guess, but um, right. what this movie's about and what you like about it. So it's a loose telling of the Henry Lee Lucas story. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Lee Lucas noticed Tool, who were uh, American serial killers that were active, and I guess the 70s and 80s maybe or maybe even a little earlier than that um rooker plays uh henry lee um and it just basically trails him killing people as he comes to chicago to meet back up with otis who he was in jail with um him and otis live together in this like ramshackle apartment otis's sister moves in I mean, basically, it's just, like, Henry grooming Otis to be a serial killer as well. Um, And also kind of developing feelings for Becky, his sister, Henry, or Otis's sister, but, like, not being able to reconcile those feelings because he's insane. Um, I mean, it really, it's, it's, it's so hard to talk about. It's... It's one of the most uncomfortable movies I think I've ever watched that doesn't make you uncomfortable through cheap tricks, basically. Like, yes. there's there's another movie from that came in, I think it's would is in 87, called Necromantic, which was like an infamous movie from the 80s, a German film about necrophiliacs, basically. And it's really uncomfortable, really hard to watch, but it is because... It's just so grotesque with no reason for being grotesque. And Michael Rooker's performance as Henry is one of the most unsettling performances. Like, I think, like, absolutely the best portrayal on film of a serial killer. Yes. And you look at, like, look at something like as, like, over the top as Hopkins, um, as Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the dead thousand-eye stare of Henry and just the brutal, like, suddenness of him as a killer. And then, like, the creepy, incestuous, closeted homosexual, not even, even closeted, like, weird like repressed sexuality of otis like as like almost like a like the mentality of like a child with no way of like knowing how to like accurately express like attraction to someone else and Mm -hmm. you know who tries to rape his sister and like just i was it was funny i was actually more sure watching it the second time by otis than i was even by rooker well because they're like, Otis is a guy that has these urges that's never been able to act on him because Otis is a coward at heart. Right. Like, he's a guy that's, like, a like a constant loser and a failure and 
somebody who's never amounted to anything in life and just a petty criminal basically yeah and then that like weird like almost like buddy cop aspect of like rooker henry teaching otis to kill and to Mm -hmm. enjoy killing yeah and otis like again like not being able to control himself right having this like childlike glee about it and and then he starts confusing his sexual urges with the killing right which henry doesn't like henry's just about the killing well because you know i mean so they, they 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 talk about this psychologically and one of the another one of my favorite things about the movie too is that you can never tell if Henry's telling you the truth. Sure. Like everything you get from Henry's mouth, even in the course of like one conversation, like can change. So it's like, was he really abused as a child? Is he just crafting his own narrative to try and fit whatever situation he's in? Is he confusing like different, like people he's killed and like, he can't even remember because Right. The real Henry Lee Lucas at one point was accused of like hundreds or had confessed. Confessed. To like uh, hundreds of murders. Yeah. Some right. of which like he was, would be physically impossible for him to have committed because of where he was at the time. Right. Um, To the point where like I think they've actually lowered his like attributed death count to just like three. Like confirmed or something like that. Um, And in reality, he did travel with Otis's sister. And they ended up murdering... That's how he got caught, I think, is they had murdered um, some rancher they were staying with, like, out west somewhere, like, maybe in Arizona or something, um, in real life. But, yeah, the combination of those two, it's always really uncomfortable, like... And, for the most part, they show you the aftermath of the killing, which is almost more upsetting than actually because you don't really get to see him kill anybody they set up the kill and then they show the body of like it's it's, you know usually women like that he's murdered and you hear like their screams and the struggle like as just like voiceover kind of and just like the cold almost like crime scene clinicalness of just the dead body there like left Mm -hmm. by him I don't know. It's yeah. um honestly, I, and and because of that happens when you do see it, I think it's more effective and gut wrenching when they're rewatching the video, right? Of the actual, so the actual mur- real murder that you do see, like of of the family, of, of the yeah, of the family, when they're rewatching like the video footage and you see it because you haven't seen a lot so far, and then you cut back to them watching it. And what Otis rewinds it right, like so he can watch, like watch it again. Isn't that what happens? And well, like, no. Had- the, the the thing that like kind of leads to the disillusion of their like quote unquote friendship is that Henry comes home and Becky is like stepped out for some reason. She's at work or something like that, mm-hmm. and Otis just has it on slow motion. And has, like, right, fallen yeah, asleep. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Otis wants to watch it again, like, immediately. Right, like, immediately. Right, like, and, and, and it's, like, it's after Henry's basically, like, slapped his hand in the, in the video itself because Otis is going to try to... Rape the woman. Well... Well, rape her corpse. Rape her corpse, yeah. And and Henry tells him, like, No, basically, Otis, we don't do that. We don't do... Right. And the fact that Otis, like, wants to rewatch it again right away is you know he, he, just the idea of it he's still getting off on it right 
like the possibility that it could happen. It is completely, I want to say it was 94, 95 when I saw this. Like I was a teenager. Yeah. I think. I was probably, it's probably the same for yeah. me. Yeah. And I, I, I was so disturbed by this movie at that age that I, um, yeah, I vowed never to watch it ever again. Not because I didn't like it. I thought it was extremely effective and I think it's a fantastic movie. I still do. Um, one of the best horror movies I've probably ever seen. Yeah. And, but like, it just affected me that much. And like, I'm not somebody who gets affected by things like that often. Like, I studied like so much, like in terms of serial killers and like, you know, I've seen really disgusting shit. Like, you know, like even by that age, I had seen like some pretty awful sh- stuff, but this thing like really, really bothered me. But here's the interesting thing is rewatching it again. Like it's, it's disturbing. It's creepy. Like, but like that feeling that I had like 20, 25 years ago isn't there anymore. It's like, I'm so desensitized now Yeah, that like, I see why I felt that way. It's like, um, God, who is it? Like Bowie says that about like life on Mars or something like where it's like, at like he, um, at one point he could empathize with the girl and, um, you know, he can only sympathize with her now that he's older. It's like, it's how I feel about myself. Like right. at one point I, I, I could, I could under, like, I can only sympathize with myself of being disturbed by it. Um, because I've seen so much worse since then, like, and like real stuff. Like, I mean, Christ, I was on the internet in the throughout the nineties, like starting in ninety four. Oh, right. So you were like rotten.com and whatnot. I do remember rotten.com, but it's like, I mean, I was on Usenet stuff. Like, oh, and you would yeah. download shit and like not know what you were getting sometimes. Right, and it's like, I've seen st- I've seen snuff films. Yeah, and then the horrific stuff in Right, that. awful. Like, you know, and it's like since that time, like I'm desensitized now to like some of the stuff is in Henry. Which yeah, I've is, never been able to watch like stuff in real life. Like, I've oh, never, I know you haven't. Yeah, yeah like it always really bothers me to see like someone actually yeah. getting hurt. Where I can watch like anything in a movie and like sure. appreciate sure. it from like an aesthetic standpoint, even if it's no good. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I'm still like, I'm still affected by it. Yeah. Like watching it this past time, I still pull for like Becky to live. Sure. Like Absolutely. I still yeah. like. And made like it makes me queasy like watching like Henry and Otis. Yeah, especially Otis. Like, there's that scene doesn't make early, me queasy anymore, but it makes me uncomfortable. There's mm-hmm. that scene early on where Otis is selling drugs to the high school kid. Yeah, and like puts his hand on his crotch ba- or his thigh. His thigh, yeah. and the kid punches him, and it's like, like that frustration and the anger and the like, just the weird like, almost like pseudo like pedophilia like yeah. vibe you get from like it's sure. all like really uncomfortable and, yeah and it's funny because mcnaughton I, I i think does an amazing job like i think it's yeah brilliantly directed and that dude does like nothing else in his career like it's just correct fucking like wild things and stuff right, wild yeah. things is a fine movie sure sure to a point but, yeah, but it's like right how is like this like this is a second movie i think and like yeah this is like your crowning achievement and then well you, it's so gritty and like you know but it's like has this it's almost like um shit what's a manhunter um 
direct it's it's almost like has these elements of michael mann yeah to it but it's like it's it's dirtier right grimier but it still has like a, some of those slick elements in terms of like some of the filmmaking it's like this it's it's mixed between style and real it's like this weird stylized realism to it right and like so it makes you feel like this is all actual like this is what the street looks like you know but like there's well, still like a slickness to it so from that point and one of the things like like watching again that i notice it's all very low to the ground yeah like it's yeah. very much like from a visual standpoint like pulls you into the dirt like mm. all the time like there's no there's very few overhead shots there's very few shots where like right very few even like establishing shots or anything like almost everything is filmed from a very low angle like mm-hmm. looking up right. which in a way kind of makes you feel like small watching it mm-hmm. but also makes them feel like more looming and menacing mm-hmm. and yeah it does lots, have lots it, of lots of medium shots from the chest up yeah it, it has that like 70s aesthetic in terms what you know what it is it has like and especially because, like, you know, the, the kill you talked about, it like, they film it on, a yeah. like, an early camcorder, like, sure. a handheld camcorder. And it feels like that. Like, it feels like right. this grimy, like, VHS tape that you found that you're not supposed to have seen. And and Rooker for, like, and I, I, I love Michael Rooker. I think he's done, like, some really, like, amazing roles in his career, but... Just to be able to channel that, like, dead inside, like, psychopathic, like, menace combined with, like, I don't know, an almost, like, idiot savant. I I don't know. It's, like, this, the crazy, and I don't know if, like, he, like, watched, like, Henry Lee Lucas or if there's, like, any, like, video to prepare for it, but... Man, it is, it is like probably the most believable, like serial killer performance. Yeah, and like, especially when he was younger, it becomes a little less noticeable when he's older. Like where most people know Michael Rooker from now, I think like Guardians and those right. kind of things. But it's like, um, when he's young and a little thinner, like just not to judge people based off their physiology, but it's like there's something about his face, like and how angular and. Like, you know, like the jaw clench and all right. that stuff when he's thinner that it's like it makes him look a little bit like like a Neanderthal. And no, that's true. there's like a like a kind of almost like a slack jaw, like stupidity like to him. But he's obviously not a complete idiot, even if he's not educated because he's extremely talented, like at killing, um, right. like, you know, he's and but it's like there's something about his face that like makes him and especially in the way he acts too like in that role that just makes him completely and utterly like menacing and also because like even when he's like smiling or anything like you never believe it's genuine it always feels like a mask and honestly like i had a lot of trouble watching michael rooker for years because all i would think about is this movie like every time i saw him like it's almost like an unfair, like, I actually would think, like, man, motherfucker, just, like, like he killed all those people, like, subconsciously. Because I remember he's, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, see, I think the next thing I saw Michael Rooker in was Mallrats, so, um, it does, it's not the... 
like it, it he never really like it didn't affect me past that movie but right. <clears throat> i mean he's in um he's in a lot of stuff oh absolutely yeah and honestly up until like guardians like always relegated to to either assholes or like or like yeah like psychopaths like in um you know tombstone just sure he's one of the what do they call them the red scarves or whatever the the vaqueros uh-huh. that right like he's one of the ones that's like extra crazy or whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's like crazy or he's like a asshole like you know his character right. in like um mall rats he's right. just like that you know you want some pretzels yeah slither he's good in yeah he's really good in slither yeah but again a villain Right, sure, yeah, um, and also that kind of dead eye crazy because he's like in ha- you know right. invaded by like that alien. God, that's an underrated movie. Yeah, it is. I like Slither a lot. Yeah, Slither's really good. That was a good experience when we saw that in the theater, like that tiny little the, the one that smelled like yeah yeah that was yeah. like death. Uh-huh. I hate uh-huh. it. it smelled like cat piss actually all the time. Right, yeah, no, that was, yeah, that was fun. Um, I just made the connection though about like um. That's why Michael Rooker's cast in Guardians, like, because I forgot all about, like, him. Oh, being yeah, in, yeah, yeah. And you know that this is also, this is his first role. Like, that's crazy, yeah. too. Is, isn't it? Right. It is. Yeah. 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 That, um, no, it's, it's wild. Like, to be that good. Right. And maybe even almost, like, typecast himself in some ways. Sure. Oh, absolutely, he did. Um, <laughs> absolutely. But it's, like, it's almost impossible to describe this movie in a way that does it justice without, like, just telling you that... If you're comfortable enough, like, being uncomfortable, that you should watch it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it uh, it's, it's it would be impossible for me not to tell somebody that they should watch it. But with the caveat that if, you, if you're made uncomfortable by, like, serial killer stuff or, or murder and stuff, seeing right. it, like, then you might want to rethink it. But Especially if you can't handle... The fact that, like, there's no, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no repercussions. Like, yeah. ultimately, like, he just gets away with it in sure. the context of the movie. Sure, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that, like, thinking about it, like, talking about, like, his duplicity or, like, not, like, lies and, like, not knowing, like, what he feels and stuff like that. And this is probably an unanswerable question, so it's probably unfair, but... What is it? I guess I love you too. Yeah. At the end. In the car. Like when they're driving away from the Otis murder. Despite everything, it's like I get... I think that's sincere. I don't think he knows. Well, right. I don't think he knows what it means. Well, I think in, I think to some degree, like, he thinks that because maybe he did that for her to some degree. Although I don't know if he did it for her, but it's like, you know, like... Because, like, they went through that experience together. I think that he thinks that might be true. Maybe. I mean, because of the abuse he suffered as a kid. And I right. think that that part is true. Yeah. He knows that she was, you know, she talks about being raped by her daddy. Mm-hmm. That's another, like, yeah, uh, yeah. that is so uncomfortable. It's uncom- like, yeah. She tells him, like, yeah. all that stuff about, like, sure. he used to come in my room at sure. night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he'd it's... be like... Guess right. you and your daddy don't get along, huh? <laughs> right. And it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. You crazy bastard. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, but then, like, Otis, like, trying to force himself on her. And, sure. like, he's very, like, you don't do that to, right. you know, like, a family member. And, sure. And honestly, probably why he ends up killing her in the end. Um, 
Although you never see him kill her. She just left on the side of the road in her suitcase. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because, like, maybe he can't reconcile himself with, like, having any kind of feelings. Right. Because yeah. it's just, like, about, like, what happened to him as a child. Sure. So, um, it, I mean, had 87% from critics, so it was hard to find criticism. But I, I did find one guy from the New Yorker, Terrence Rafferty. Um, and he admits that it's compelling to watch. Um, but he says that the movie's not really doing any more than telling us the world's a scary place and that murder's ugly. And those are things that we already knew, so it just becomes tabloid chic is what he calls it. Uh, do you think that there is any greater purpose to the movie other than what he said, that the world's ugly? And I don't know. That's hard to say. I mean, it is very... It's not trying to delve into like any kind of like real psychology of why. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from, like, what the characters themselves tell you. Sure, which are probably lies. Because, honestly, aside from, like, a couple of supporting characters that are just murder victims, there's really three characters. In the yeah, movie. it's a very small movie. It's three, And yeah. it's all just about them. Yeah. Like, not being able to, like, relate as human beings. Um, I don't like the tabloid chic comment. Like, I would apply that to natural born killers, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, that's a tabloid. Sure. That, that is, like, reading the National Enquirer's, like, what that sure. movie feels Absol- like. Oh, absolutely. This is more... And Tarantino meant that be that way, so... This is more like Robert Block or something. You know, this is like... Right. This is like a... Like, 99-cent, like, paperback that was on, like, a rack. You know, that's... I don't know. It's like... You know what the setting reminds me of now that I thought about it? I'm sorry to cut you off. Remember the uh, Elmore Leonard novel that I had you read, um, City Prime? Oh, right, right. It's very similar to that. Yeah, that's exactly what it reminds me of, is that, like, 80s, gritty, like, Detroit, you know, setting and stuff like that. Maybe if you want to take anything from it, it's that it's... It examines, like, a subculture that most movies would never... Like, they're really, like... At that time, wouldn't have delved into. That they were dealing with in the 70s somewhat with stuff like French Connection and mm-hmm. um, Five Easy Pieces and shit like that. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily fit. Like, they're not characters that you can, like, relate to necessarily or that you might not want to, like, admit you can relate to or sympathize with at all. And... I don't know. I mean, it's at the beginning of like the public conscious like fascination with serial killers because this is right. like Bundy's executions only like a couple years before this, I think. And yeah. you know, it was when like there was a lot of fear in like um, the West Coast about serial killers because of like um, like Ramirez and the Green River Killer and Son of Sam. And that's all, like, late 70s, early 80s, right? Right. And so, but that was, like, like Donahue was having, like, shows about, like, these things. Sure. And, like, interviewing, you know, psychiatrists and whatnot. And so, I think that's just part of it. Like, you're telling the compelling story of, like, something that people are darkly fascinated by. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe scratching that, that itch, but in a way that makes you think, like, 
maybe this is not a thing that I should be fascinated by. Like, maybe there's no... So, okay, so that's my argument for it, is that it doesn't glorify any of it. You know, no, like, it does not. It does not. Edward Norton in Primal Fear glorifies in some ways because the performance is so good. And Anthony Hopkins is cool as Hannibal Lecter to the right. point where, like, you root for him more than you root for Clarice Starling because of the performance. Mm-hmm. As much as, like, I don't like it anymore, like, but that's true, right? right. You know, because usually sure. the killer is, even if they lose, they're still sophisticated and brilliant and right. there's something where, like, there's a dark part of you that's like, yeah, like, that's, that's, like, kind of cool. But, like, this is the opposite of that. This is like, okay, like, you're so fascinated by this, like, let me show you how terrible it actually is so that you're, you don't come out of it like, you know, with any kind of, there's nothing titillating about it necessarily, even though there's nudity, there's nothing. It's just a very, I don't know. It's a very heavy, weighty movie. And maybe that's the point, I guess. Maybe. And maybe he kind of says that, but like also misses. Like it could be. Well, it's like, okay, going back to like 10 minutes ago where it's like, I I was talking about like seeing awful shit on the internet. Right. It's like, you know, and and some of it, I was like, oh, well, let me click on this. And some of it, I didn't expect to ever see, but it's like, there is this fascination with it. And maybe, maybe that is part of what it is, is like, everybody's fascinated and it's like, well, here, here's, you know, it's almost like, you know. Yeah, like, it's kind of like, you want to see this? Here it is. Right. In all of its warts and grotesque, you know, like, uh, grotesquery. Like, you know, here here's what you get. Um, are you happy now? Right, like, because you watch Freddy Krueger and... Right, it's fu- it's quippy, it's funny. Like, right, and the, the premise is, here's this child killer. Sure. You know, the right. supernatural child killer, but like... You we want to laugh at like Freddy's or yeah. like marvel at the complexity right. of the deaths and you know Henry's like strangling someone right with like a telephone cord or yeah, or just stabbing stabbing them, like, them or right, just yeah. snapping their to neck get a TV like, like brutally or a camera and, or brutally and fast right. just like sure. breaking someone's neck right. yeah and there's no like like again like I'll reference like natural born killers like that's the titillation of seeing them like murder people and like it even like i mean that's what that movie's about is like the cult of celebrity that's built around yeah you know because there was a time when i was in high school where like i had like a charlie manson t-shirt and i thought that was like the coolest thing and it's like as you like grow you realize like yeah that's not like something to celebrate and i think that this movie is an encapsulation of the idea that this is these are not people that you should like imbue a sense of celebrity to that they are and even though like it does the opposite because it is like telling like the pseudo story of this serial killer Mm -hmm. but it's not doing it in a way that like you know it's not like badlands where like you're rooting for him you know what i mean right yeah or bonnie Bonnie and clyde Clyde, right right, yeah um or wisdom um or you know fucking reservoir dogs sure where like any tarantino movie that has like because the dialogue is always so good that you... Well, it's like, I mean, I don't, when I say this, I don't even mean this in a religious sense, because I'm, I'm, I'm not very religious, but it's like, um, 
it's like god doesn't exist like in any of that like right. in any of those scenes in that movie like like there there's no consequence to like what's happening it's right. just brutal there's and no awful. meaning to and, it either and there's no me right and there's no meaning right it's like it's 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 like to so to me and not to like make this too awfully long but mm-hmm. like i i loved seven when i saw it for the first time and i still think seven's okay yeah Seven's biggest failing to me is Kevin Spacey talking for 15 minutes straight about why he's doing what he's doing. And right. it's like ascribing meaning to it almost like removes the horror, the horror and the weight of what you've just seen. Well, and you, you when, made the same complaint the other week about Psycho. Right. Yeah. When there's right. no meaning to it, when it's right. just a meaningless, like active, like sure. abject violence. Sure. It makes it more difficult to like wrestle with that from like a human perspective, and sure. I think that that I don't know. I think that isn't isn't that what Mindhunters is getting right to some degree, right? It's like is like is that he's and he's making he's a statement on us, like in the sense I think that it's like he's so fascinated by trying to figure out like what's the meaning, what's the rationale, like what what makes these people tick, and that he can get sucked in. To right. these people like and they can trick him and fool him a, a lot of the times yeah, just like we advantage. get fooled by thinking that it's right like cool or sexy or those kind of things and yeah, you know and in, in, in the end it's just like you know um he's become part of that and that's what the so, serial killer hugs him right <laughs> oh yeah because you think Kemper's gonna like right like kill him i mean you know it's not gonna happen right like, you, you, right like sure sure and that's also like the beauty of like the TV series Hannibal yeah, is right. that it's not, even though it's done in like a hyper stylized way that like, yeah. and Hannibal is like a cool, sure like character, sure, but the Will Graham character never thinks that like he is like destroyed by the things that he has to make himself like the, right. this is my design which is still like one of my favorite yeah like that opening of that first episode is just like brilliant in that right. respect but. Yeah. Yeah, Mindhunters is doing it well, yeah. and showing like the the senselessness and the fact that like you're not going to get like right. an easy answer out of like a killer, and if you are glorifying it in a movie that you're actually like doing an injustice to, right? You know, yeah. I can't wait to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood now after like having that conversation. <laughs> yeah, so. right. Okay, so yeah, I mean Henry, I. Henry would also be another one of those in my top five of this decade. Is, oh, yeah. is I guess like um, absolutely just devastating but brilliant movie. Like, yeah, it's in my yeah. top two. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. So that's our list for the week. Um. Like I said, uh, we'll be back in August, uh, at the very end of August, for the 1987 list. Um. Uh, if you're just kind of try uh, following along with our horror movie list, um. Otherwise, we'll be back next week talking about Tarantino and uh, specifically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then we'll be also be doing the best of 2004 and the best uh, top five uh, sci-fi movies from the 70s is uh, also there. I'm really excited for that one, actually. As much as I hate sci-fi, like I'm super excited about the 70s sci-fi. I'm probably dreading it because i have a feeling that there's going to be so many larry gasberry movies on that list there will be um there's at least three that i know of 100 (laughs) percent 
great. The 87 um, horror list is another one that's like five legitimately solid films. Yeah. Nice. Four and then one that like is Oh really yeah, fun. I know never mind. I know this list. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, yeah it's a good list. It's a good. Yeah, list. I'm excited yeah. for that too. Yeah. So, okay. So, um thank you everybody for listening. Yep. Um and I hope you have a good week. Have a good night.